Getting to know yourself can be a lifelong process, especially since you're always growing and changing. Therapy is all about deepening that self-awareness because sometimes you don't know what you really want until you talk things through. BetterHelp connects you with a licensed therapist online who can take you on that journey of self-discovery from wherever you are. Visit BetterHelp.com positive today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp.com positive. You might have heard our Attorney General, Jason Meares, talk about this fentanyl crisis, the substance abuse crisis that we have in America in the previous interview. And the CDC reports that synthetic opioids like fentanyl claim more than 150 lives every day in the United States. A DEA report in a recent study shows that fake prescription drugs revealed six out of 10 pills analyzed contained potentially lethal amounts of fentanyl. Dr. Paul Christo, associate professor at the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine, has been on the front lines battling the opioid crisis and is joining us this morning. Good morning, Dr. Christo. Good morning. So let's start with fentanyl. We hear this fentanyl, fentanyl, fentanyl every day. Explain what it is and why it is so dangerous. Well, fentanyl is an opioid. Uh, There are different types of opioids. Uh, that we use certainly in treating patients with chronic pain and in acute pain settings. Fentanyl is a synthetic opioid. It is about 80 to 100 times more potent than morphine, to put into perspective. We use fentanyl therapeutically, you know, all the time, say in the operating room, uh, and we administer it intravenously to help reduce pain related to surgery. We also use it in different formulations to help patients with chronic pain. And so why is it so dangerous if we're using it anyway in our everyday treatment of people with pain? Well, the, right. the, the, uh, the issue is that you've got people that are buying fentanyl on the streets. So, you know, this isn't being used therapeutically. Those pa- uh, patients are not even patients, but just people, you know, are buying the fentanyl illegally on the street. This is um, not pharmaceutically manufactured fentanyl, right? This is synthetically manufactured fentanyl, illicitly manufactured fentanyl. So, you know, there's no, there's no quality control on the streets. So, you know, we, we might measure this in milligrams or something when we give it to patients. But, you know, when you're purchasing it on the street, you have no idea what you're getting. So often, you know, when we administer it as physicians, we know, you know, we know the dose. But when you're getting it on the street, you don't. And you're probably not interested in the dose, right? You're really using it for the mind and mood-altering capabilities of the drug. And it can stop your breathing very, very quickly. A low dose can lead to death very quickly. That's why it's so dangerous. Well, we keep hearing these stories of like a teenager who's experimenting and buying an opioid, you know, off somehow through some social media, not realizing it. There was a story in October promising young big law associate dies after using cocaine laced with fentanyl. And in fact, they these three people in New York died from using a delivery service, a cocaine delivery service. So is this just widely available out there? And that's one of the reasons that we have such this crisis. Yes, it is widely available. I think that uh, what we've learned over time is that these criminal organizations uh, in Mexico are smuggling it over the border, or I should say borders. So the Mexico-California border, the Arizona, uh, the Mexico-Arizona border, uh, I mean, huge amounts of it, you know, like we're talking, you know, gallons of fentanyl liquid or 600 pounds of tablets. I mean, this type of thing. Um, In addition, you've got uh, people who are not aware that fentanyl is being put into other 
substances like cocaine, like methamphetamine. So when they're using those substances, they're not aware that they're also ingesting fentanyl. And that's why it's so dangerous. It is 8.09 on this Thursday, January 12th, and we're talking to Dr. Paul Christo, Associate Professor of Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine. I'm Karen Michael, in for John Reed. So here's what I don't understand. What is in it for a drug dealer to put this fentanyl in a product that is going to kill its client? Wouldn't they want to keep the client around? Yeah, right, right. You would think that. Uh, yes, I, I think that they, they just typically would want to do that. But on the other hand, you know, they can sell it for a higher price. So if they're selling, say, methamphetamine and they're putting fentanyl in it, you know, it, it's some, they're, they're escalating the price. And they're also trying to, on the other hand, trying to get, uh, develop, if you will, an abuse or addiction in those that they sell it to. So they continue to return to them for more drugs. So how did we get to this epidemic? I know that you're main area of expertise is in treatment of pain management. And a lot of this started with our using opioids back, I guess, in the 90s. Or how did we get to this point where we have this crisis? Well, right now, the crisis is not related to patients who have pain. It did start that way in the 1990s. And what happened at that time is that um, I, I think we had a lot of physicians, other healthcare providers that were using opioids as a frontline treatment for those who had pain. And unfortunately, there were many at that time who didn't need the opioid and who misused it and unfortunately died. That transition, though, from the 1990s to the use of heroin and then from heroin to the use of synthetic or illegal fentanyl and, and not by those who have chronic pain. I think that's an important distinction. The, the people who are using fentanyl now are not those who need it. Uh, and have been using it legitimately for chronic pain. So what are some strategies that you suggest? I mean, I'm a parent of young adults. It's terrifying to me, the thought of anybody experimenting with something. And then, you know, I, we had a friend who used one of those pills on, you know, bought a pill or something. And she was a student at a university and and just died from just taking one, a Molly pill or something. And it Mm -hmm. was laced with something. So what strategies do you suggest to try and just at least start to address this issue? Number one, I think we need better educational strategies to to target adolescents. Those are going to be people between the ages of, say, 13 to 25. I mean, that's uh, the age range that uh, of interest here. At that age, a lot of experimentation occurs with drugs, a lot of misuse occurs. So I think we need better educational strategies at the middle school level, high school, college. Let everyone know what this drug is all about and how potent it is. Also, we need the use and expansion of the use of Narcan. Narcan is also known as naloxone. It's the opioid reversal agent. It it saves lives, no question about it. All you have to do is, you know, inject, spritz it, if you will, into the nostril, and it reverses the effects of the opioid on breathing. So those are two important strategies that I think we need to expand right now. Well, parents like me are in a constant state of saying to their kids, Here's an example of somebody that died. Here's an example. And they're like, I know, mom. But then you, other parents are still doing that, and then their child still goes and experiments. So when you talk about education, what's an effective way to provide education? Because some of these parents would say, I, I did all that, and my kid still experimented believing that this was a safe source or it wasn't going to happen to him or her. Yes. I think what's often effective is to have those who've used the drug of as resources who haven't died clearly right but who've used it who've overdosed and not died who've been in treatment 
you know, who have the disease of addiction and are in are in recovery and can talk about the devastating effects of using fentanyl, of using other opioids, of using the stimulant drugs on their lives. I think that's been quite effective in the past. I think also the use of overdose prevention centers is new in the United States. It's developing. It's been used in other countries like Canada. That, I think, too, is a, is a, is a strategy to help reduce deaths related to opioids. So we, one of the things that I know a study showed is that there might be 1.2 million drug overdose deaths in the next decade. Is that just a foregone conclusion or can we actually reverse that? I think we can reverse that. I think we certainly can um, mitigate that number. Uh, and, you know, again, with these, so Canada has a long history of using these overdose prevention centers. And, and these are centers where you would go if you're going to use a drug. Um, you know, they provide clean syringes, they provide clean needles. Uh, and there's someone there, there are people there that actually oversee the use so they can intervene if necessary in the case of an overdose. They also offer addiction treatment services. So it, on the one hand, it seems strange that, yeah. oh boy, aren't we, provo- aren't we sort of promoting the use of drugs here? But the reality is that the research shows that, gosh, there's been a 35% reduction in overdose deaths in Canada and other countries that use these centers. Wow. Well, I appreciate so much, Dr. Paul Christo, your insights for an associate professor at the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you.